Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I want you to imagine with me that you come and you listen to the band in this place on a Sunday morning and you feel, you feel moved, maybe like some of you did today or you've listened to the message and you feel moved in some way, but then whenever you walk out the door, everything is as normal as it previously was. And for a lot of people, the way that they would define worship, maybe they're in church every Sunday, maybe they're just in church on occasion, maybe they're in church every, every uh, or not very often at all, but that one to two hour block that they happen to be in church is as far as worship goes in their life. Uh, my goal with this series that we're starting today, this practice, is to extend this much further in your life. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Our mission at Believer's Church is to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. Many of you at this point know that. Our first core value is formation or spiritual formation, and this means to become students of Jesus. We become students of Jesus through the practice of what is often referred to as spiritual disciplines. To give you a few examples of spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines are scripture, worship, giving, hospitality, silence and solitude, practicing Sabbath, prayer. There are a lot that we go into. And what we do in the spring and the fall, we're just going to go ahead and call it spring. Is that okay with you guys? I think we're ready for spring. So we're going to go ahead and call it spring. But we take four to 10 weeks and we take one of these spiritual disciplines and we make the decision to very intentionally concentrate on this so that you can implement this into your life as a way of life. All right, so that's what we're doing with this practice. So we're going to be talking about worship for five, six, seven weeks, probably up until Easter. So the goal is to deeply this, uh, implement this into your life. In the fall, we, you, you guys feel it getting cooler in here? Good, it's getting cooler in here, okay? We're, we're taking care of that. In the fall, we talked about hospital, I'm sorry, we talked about giving. And in the spring, what we're gonna be talking about is worship. There is also a list of recommended readings on the website. So if you wanna go a little bit deeper into this practice, you have the ability to do that. You can read some of the things that I read and others have read as we've went into putting this practice together. So check that out if you like to read, if you like to go further with the practice. I wanna start simply today by defining worship. Worship. And what I'm going to do, so that's what we're going to talk about today is defining worship. That's the place to start. And I'm going to give you a definition that I've kind of created of worship. You may really like it. You may say, Matt, that's horrible theology. I disagree with you, but I think you're going to like it a lot. And this is how it's applied to my life and how I know that it's applied to some of your lives as well. So worship is a way of pouring ourselves out to God as God then generously pours himself into us. So worship is a way of pouring ourselves out to God. It's a process as God then generously pours himself into us. This means several things. It means that from beginning to end, worship is what we would call a means of grace. 
All right, worship is a means of grace. As we worship, we are experiencing God through the power of redemption. I go to a lot of concerts. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of excitement. But whenever you are worshiping, there is something that is also being poured back into you as you are giving pieces of yourself in the process. We'll talk more about what a means of grace is. It also means that worship is a means of connection to God that then becomes a connection to others. So it's really good to ride around in your car and worship. You're in the shower, you're worshiping, you're walking around the house on a bad day, and you're worshiping. All those things are wonderful, but what you can't miss is the corporate component, like what we have on Sunday mornings whenever we're together. I believe that the church is not limited to a building. You guys know that. But whenever we have the opportunity to gather together, special, important things happen that we can't create. And that has a lot to do with what starts as vertical worship, but then turns into horizontal worship around us. It also means that worship, and this is where we really miss it, is a passionate lifestyle. It's not something that you just do on Sundays for a one to two hour block. It is a passionate lifestyle. And I'm really not going to say, guys, don't get too too excited. We're going to hit this next week. We're going to hit it next week and you're going to love it. All right. But because the, the other two we can talk about just for a little while, but next week we are going to talk about how 24-7 we are supposed to be worshipers. That's what we do with our lives so that whenever we come in here, we're so ready that we're like blowing the roof off the place. All right? So we are preparing for what worship is actually supposed to look like. So there are two passages that I want to go to this morning to just kind of go through and illustrate what this definition means. The first is going to be in Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. And then the other is going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. And then we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Now this is what is important about these two passages. And if you guys can go ahead and pull the first one up, I'm going to follow on the screen with you guys as we look at these. The thing that's important about the passage in Philippians 2 is that this is at the peak of Paul's ministry. Okay, what's important about the second passage in 2 Timothy is that it's at the end of Paul's ministry. So the first passage is going to be at the peak of his ministry, whenever he's just in the thick of things, a relatively new Christian, and he's preaching or writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And then next, as he's talking to his dear friend Timothy, he's literally at the end of his life. Okay, so look at these, look at these two passages with me really quick. First off, Philippians chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, it says this. The first of it's part of verse 16. Because you hold on to the word of life, this will allow me to say on the day of Christ that I haven't run for nothing or worked for nothing. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering, this is really, really strange language, okay? Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering upon the altar of service for your faith, I am glad. I am glad with all of you. You should be glad about this in the same way. Be glad with me. So that poured out like a drink offering is what I want you to focus on if we can now go to the next passage in 2 Timothy Excuse me, chapter 4. What do we see again? Again, this is the end of his life, but he's using this same kind of language. I'm already being poured out like a sacrifice to God, and the time of my death is near. And then this verse 7, I know a lot of you in here are familiar with. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. 
So what Paul is doing is he's describing his joy as being able to serve, and he's referring to his life as a drink offering. In a 21st century context for Christians, this is really confusing language, but in his world, the Jewish world, it makes perfect sense. He's referring to the Old Testament practice of pouring out a drink offering. After a priest would sacrifice a lamb or a bull or a ram, he would then pour the drink out, the wine, beside the altar. This symbolized the dedication of a person's worship to God. This is very familiar language for the Apostle Paul. In Paul's life, he felt that he was being poured out as an act of worship on behalf of those he served. So he did not understand the Monday through Friday, nine to five grind or going to school, depending on how, how old you are, of his life. Everything in his life was an act of worship according to those he served. So what he is saying is, I would love to take a vacation. I would love to think about marriage, which he chose not to marry. I would love to do all of these other things with my life. I've got hobbies. I've got dreams. I, I, I want to see myself succeed at a, person, at, a, at a small business. All of these other things. But this is not what he's saying. He is saying, what is within me every single day is being poured out for other people. And as it's being poured out for other people, I'm not simply getting a pat on the back. I'm not getting some level of satisfaction. I'm not getting words of affirmation. Man, you did a really great job, Paul. I am receiving Christ in me. I am changing. I am being transformed. I am getting to the essence of life. But in order to understand that, in order to know that, I have to be willing every single day to make myself an act of worship for God. And this starts to transform people. So as we continue to define worship, I want to go a little bit deeper so that each person in here on an individual level, but then also on a corporate level, you can understand what's going on when we talk about Old Testament and also New Testament worship. Because if we're going to get deep into some of this stuff, corporate worship, Jesus and worship, worship as a passionate lifestyle, worship as giving, worship as serving, all of these other things, we need to understand exactly what worship means. Because this is what we've done. Tyler gets up here. Tyler's incredibly talented. I can tell you for a fact that Tyler is led by the Spirit. There is no question about that. We've got this band up here. You've got this music. You, you can emotionally connect to some of those things, but it's more than that because people will raise their hands and they will be like really, really excited. But seconds after they've walked out the door, they've lost what happened in here. And that's not right. That's not what the Christian life is supposed to look like. We carry it into the place that we go. That's the way that we actually live. So the Greek word proskinesis is the most common. If it sounds like prostrate, if you ever notice people laying down on the ground on their faces, worshiping before God, this is the reason that you see this in this way. They're worshiping in this way. The root words are a combination of towards and to kiss. It's believed that the initial meaning came from the idea of blowing a kiss towards someone of a higher rank. Okay, so the initial idea in Greek and the one that is used the most in the Bible is blowing a kiss towards someone of a higher rank. Hence, a sign of respect, or sometimes it's viewed as a person that gets down and kisses the earth. This is what we're initially talking about with worship. Now, the most common word in Hebrew, the Old Testament that is used, 
means to bend oneself over at the waist. In many Asian countries, the way that you see people greet one another, this is exactly what this means, is you bow yourself down. So the other is literally to get on the ground with your face before God in humble submission, as if you're giving a kiss to the ground. And the other is to bend your body forward. Scholar David Peterson suggests that both the Hebrew and the Greek meanings insinuate the physical sense of bowing or bending as a gesture of awe and surrender to God, often with thanksgiving in response to some gracious revelation that the Lord has given through word or through deed. In other words, we are giving ourselves to something you're not just singing You're not just listening to a message. You're not just dropping money in an offering plate or an offering bucket as it it goes by, all of which are acts of worship. You are giving an extension of yourself so that God then pours into you, and that's why people cry, and that's why people raise their hands, and that's why sometimes you're so just blown away by the power of God that you don't say anything. You just have to sit down because you can't do anything. You have to just take in the presence of God in that moment. It's not because you're simply getting excited. It's because something is pouring into you in that moment. And we call that thing God. And more specifically as an act, we call it grace that is being poured deeply into us. We have another Greek word. It's a verb that's often used for worship. Worship is through the act of surrender. So please hear this. This is a very like vocal church, all right, whenever we worship, all right? But it's not about emotion, and it's not about hype, and it's not about trying to create a vibe or an energy or anything like that within a room. It's an act of surrender to something that has changed your heart. That's exactly what worship is, but we miss this all the time. So returning to my definition, worship is a way of pouring ourselves out to God. God, I'm coming here with my friends and with my family that are part of the body. I'm driving down the road and I've had a really, really hard morning and I'm not just singing a song. I'm not just listening to a podcast. I am pouring myself out to you. Turn your other music off, guys. Turn it off because it is not going to pour in the way that this is going to pour in a hard day. You think, oh, I got to listen to that song. I got to listen to this song. Give, give yourself to something that is going to give back in an incredible way. This is what I want you to consider paying attention to. Worship is a way of pouring ourselves out to God as God then generously pours himself into us. Worship. It's with a man, I'll never forget this, uh, Beth and I, because we think about people being so excited and praising in their higher moments and things like that when everything's wonderful. Early in our marriage, we were in marriage counseling. And the pastor that was, was counseling us was talking about worship. And he said, worship is often not what you see on Sunday mornings. It's often not around the hype and all these people that are just getting excited because they think whenever they go into a church, that's what they're supposed to do. It's about the woman who was just diagnosed with cancer. And she's been told that she has three months to live. Or she's been told that she has six months to live or she has less time. But in the midst of this, before she starts making family arrangements and before she's able to do anything else, she gets down on her knees and says, thank you, God, for what you've given me. It's when a person goes through depression and things are so deep and so dark and they can't understand it. And instead of scrolling through their phone... And instead of going to all these other places, if it be a toxic relationship, if it be a bad friend, whoever it might be, you just put your AirPods in and you walk around and you proclaim the name of Jesus over everything in your home. That is worship. And that's what transforms and changes people. And that is exactly what the world needs to see. 
So worship is a way of pouring ourselves into God as God is generously pouring himself back into us. Author and worship pastor Zach Neese talks about the old English word worth-ship. What is the worth in what we are actually worshiping? He suggests the important part of understanding worship is to understand the worth in this deity, the worth in this thing. Because I want you to think about this. We assign value in our lives to what we worship. We assign, and you all worship something. And we'll get a little bit more into some, uh, more of this in a few weeks. I can't remember when. But we all assign value to the things in our lives that we worship. Some of you worship your spouse. Others of you worship your wardrobe or your car or whatever the new material possessions. Like that's where your energy goes. That's where your money goes. That's where if for just a brief second you're able to feel a little bit better about how hard your life is, that's where your feelings go. For others, it's their kids. And some of you even worship this church. Like you don't worship the God of this church. You talk about believers church. There's a lot of issues like that that are really, really sneaky and hard to see. But a lot of people worship a church or they worship a pastor or they worship all of these other things and they really don't understand what it means to worship God. We worship as far as worship. We worship because he is worthy. We worship because some of you today, even though it may have been 20, 30, 50 years ago, you came out of a grave. You understand exactly what that looked like. You know in your life you would give anything to not return to what that was and what that looked like. And you know that you really made some mistakes yesterday. You know what Cora told us this morning? She said, um, I've only sinned once today. Before she, I said, listen, we're not that family. Okay, we're not, we're not going to focus on all your sins and everything you're doing wrong. You're redeemed, you're free. But meanwhile, Levi's running around the, church, uh, around the house going, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. So really be praying for him. He's next, all right? But a lot of times we focus on this shame and we focus on this guilt and we focus on all these horrible things. He is worthy if you trust that you have been redeemed. If you trust that a change has happened in your life. If you see the evidence, if someone reaches out and says, I see the evidence of God in your life and you really know where you've been. You really have a conditioned understanding of where you were. How can you not worship? And how in the world is it that you can just reserve it to a building like this around other people like us? It's something sometimes six o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the afternoon, you're just an outburst of what God has done in your heart and what God has done in your life. And the reason a lot of people can't do that is because they've not experienced that. We look crazy to the majority of the world. We look crazy. Why are they raising their hands and crying? And why do they want to stay in that building more than an hour? What's wrong with these people? We have something to worship about. We have something to be grateful for. We, and if we ever get over that, God help us if we ever get over that. So this definition has a few subcategories that I gave you, and I want to go over those briefly. First, worship is a means of grace. Okay, so what does it mean to say that worship is a means of grace? A means of grace or means of grace are the ways that God works invisibly to give us strength. 
That's essentially what it means. Now, my worship experience is a little bit different than the worship experience that you guys have on Sunday mornings because you come in here with a little bit more freedom and maybe a little bit less anxiety into which you can just kind of cut loose and you're worshiping. And in my mind, what's usually going on, if it's a Sunday that I'm preaching, is I'm trying to say, God, what is it that you're pouring through me right now? Meaning that I'm, I'm, I'm here, but at the same time, there's something going on in my head as I know that God, in Paul's language, is about to pour me out. So I'm in this place where I don't have quite the same relaxation. Plus, this is also kind of a job for me. So people come up and whisper things to me, tell me things that maybe that I need to know. But whenever I have the opportunity away from here, the way that you guys have here, Beth and I were in New York, and we like to go to New York in uh, December whenever we're able to around our wedding anniversary. And we went to a church that I'd really been wanting to go to, Church of the City. John Tyson's the pastor. He's one of my, my favorite pastors, but we were able to go. And whenever we came in, I didn't feel very well. You know, like it's really crowded in here, and I still think it's really hot. But it's really crowded in here, and I don't do well with that sometimes. Like my anxiety starts to kind of... I'm, I'm not really good with, with, with a whole lot of people. And so we're there, and we're also squeezed in at a bigger place. It's jam-packed. This is one of four services that they have. And I'm sitting in there, and I'm just like, you know, I feel like, I'm, Beth, I'm about to lose it. I'm about to lose it. So the service starts, and the worship starts. And sometimes I also still struggle with shame. I still I have no problem admitting that whatsoever. I mean, I'm in recovery for this, but sometimes I just still don't feel good enough. And sometimes I still struggle with that. I, I did this, I've done that, and I still feel so locked into some of those things. And whenever we went into worship, it was just after a few minutes, just the Spirit of God started to pour through me. And you know that heaviness and how amazing that feels. That is not a human thing. Okay, that is not something that you're going to get if you go see Zeppelin. That is not something that you're going to get if you go see another, but it, it's just not. It's a different kind of experience. And all I can hear in my brain trickling to my heart is you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. Forgive yourself. Let go. Stop carrying all this weight. It's a means of grace. There is something happening in the experience that you're not going to get. And this can help happen by yourself. And it's amazing and beautiful when it does happen when you're by yourself. And so we go to this little Irish pub afterwards and I get these potato skins and I'm just crying into my food still. I've had a lot of hangovers in my life, but if you had a worship hangover, where it just, where it just wherever you go, like, like for the rest of the day, God is just so good and so amazing. And you had this experience and you know, like within yourself, this is good enough to carry me for four or five days without even needing anything else because of what happened in that moment, and there's some of you that may be in here right now that, or that'll listen later, and they're like, what in the world is he talking about? And it is, it's a unique experience. It's an experience in which the spirit transcends in your worship. Whenever you say, I am going to give myself, not just for an hour on Sunday, but I'm going to pour myself into this life. I like to say that church is Monday through Saturday, and this is just the recharge. That's all that this is whenever we come here. Your witness for Christ, who you're supposed to be, that's through the week. But also worship is a means of connection to God and others. Worship connects us to God in a beautiful way through cor corporate worship. Corporate worship meaning that we are together. The body of Christ is important. Don't try to do this on your own. Like I get it if this church is not for you. I get it if this style of worship is maybe not your thing. 
I'm not the greatest preacher in the world. You, you don't like that I said this. You're not crazy about the kids' ministry. Whatever that might look like. But find a place that is. Don't give up on the bride. Don't give up on the body just because you had a bad experience somewhere. Get over yourself. Because this is worth it. The unification, not necessarily in this room, maybe in this room for us, but in other rooms for other people, connect with other believers. Iron sharpens iron. And that is the way that it's always been. And the greatest way that we are connected is through the power of worshiping together. We have issues. Some of you are not nice people. <laughs> amen. Somebody said amen. I, listen, I have major issues. I do. But my hope is that whenever I bring him in here making some mistakes, that you guys will have some grace and forgive me if I accidentally say the wrong thing or if someone else does. And when you do, the Spirit just falls on this place when two people make it up and make right. And on our worship nights, whenever we have this kind of freedom, and listen, we have this kind of freedom on Sunday mornings, anytime when we're walking around and we're praying in these uh, prayer stations and all these different places, sometimes I just feel like I have to go up and pray with people. And sometimes I know they're going through things, and other times I don't know that they're going through things. But the ability to walk up to someone in this room and just say, can I pray over you while we're walking back and forth to these prayer stations, it's just an incredible feeling. And there are some things that you can only get alone in your relationship with God, especially the thing that I'm the deep, and that's the, the, the mystery of God. In the solitude, in the silence of your home or your office, or if it's on a walk or if it's in your car or wherever it may be. But there are other things that we must be able to get together among other imperfect people, okay? But also, worship is a passionate lifestyle. And again, that's not something that I'm going to go into. But going back to the connectedness for a second, this is what he says in, Philipp in Philippians 2.17. This is what Paul says. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering upon the altar of service of your faith, I am glad, but he doesn't stop there. He says, I am glad with all of you. We need one another. And what makes us a counter-cultural community is that we're really, really messed up people. But whenever we gather together to worship, we're not saying, well, did you hear what she did or did you hear what she did? But instead, we are experiencing the redemption and the grace of God together. So like I said, um, worship is a passionate lifestyle. I want to spend all of, of next week talking about that and talking about 24-7 worship and how important that is to incorporate that into our lives. So again, worship is a way of pouring ourselves out to God as God is generously pouring himself uh, into us. The pouring out really feels like a sacrifice, and sometimes it doesn't feel like it's worth it. We could be honest with that. But the pouring in is the deepest, most profound, untouchable, can't explain, warm feeling that you're ever going to have in your life. And you can actually, I believe you can maintain that 24-7. I really do believe that, even though it's hard. So we pour ourselves over to the glory of God and the graciousness of God. And as a result, we are filled with the grace to live a life worthy of this love through our connection with other messed up people. So as we close this morning, there's a question that I want to ask you, and I want you to think about this. What are you worshiping? All right, what is it in your life, if we're all worshiping something, what is it that you are worshiping? You are pouring yourself out every single day to something or some things. 
And as a result of you doing that, those things are then pouring themselves into you. And as a result, just the same way, it works in the same way as a relationship with God does. So what is it that you are worshiping? If you worship your phone, and I believe phone worship is a very, very real thing. That may sound silly. I believe it's a very real thing. If you worship your phone, then the grime of like social media and the things that you could read that make you angry. Some of us get really angry. I get really angry a lot of times whenever I'm on, I'm on social media and other places because I disagree with other people's opinions the same way that you guys do. And, but that is what is being poured into us if that's what we are pouring into. If you worship sex, then the filth of the misdirected lust pours through you on a regular basis. If you worship your kids, then the disappointment of them not being able to turn out the way you want, or all of their events that are always going on that sometimes are important and sometimes aren't that important, are going to pour into you, and that's going to be the lifestyle that you then create. And there is a reason for all of this misdirection. There is a reason for the struggle that you have as a result of worshiping the wrong things, and it's this. Counterfeit idols are bad for you. They're bad for you. They are destroying you every single day of your life. Now, you feel this in a number of different ways. Um, anxiety and depression seems to be the most common these days. Uh, dis a, a disenchantment for life or an unhappiness, kind of a, isn't there more? Uh, kind of a comparison also tends to be this, so that makes things really difficult. Sometimes for people like me, it tends to be, it tends to be anger, that if it's, it's not checked, it can turn into bitterness over time, and that's why I need you guys, you know, to, to help me with that. So counterfeit idols are bad for you, but what God brings through worship is good for you. It's good every single time. It's never bad. It's never bad. Now, you may leave church, and you may think, well, it's kind of dead today. You know, it, felt, it, it kind of felt, just didn't feel like it usually does. The first question I was asked is, what are you bringing to the experience? Okay, I'm, I'm not, you know, you're, you're not supposed to be, you know, some people say, and I've said this before in front of you guys, well, I just didn't get fed today. You need to learn to feed yourself. And if you start feeding yourself and you understand what that means, you're going to bring worship wherever you go. It's going to be everywhere that you are. So you start learning how to feed yourself. So I just, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy and I'm, I, I'm not the most empathetic human. That's something that I'm working on. It is a spiritual weakness. I, I, I'm owning it. I'm being serious. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's a mistake. Don't laugh. It's a mistake. It's a bad thing. All right. I struggle sometimes with that. I, I, I tend to be too much of a, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go on. And that's a problem. But if you worship these things and they pour into you, Life is going to be more difficult. That's natural. And it's going to be the way that it is. But I'd like to offer, I'd like to offer an alternative this morning. And this alternative is going to be amazing. Psalm 34, 8 says this. Taste and see how good the Lord is. There's a lot of things going on in your life. There's a lot of damage. Listen, we, we've... Um, we, we had a, a rough night last night. Dad, I'm just going to go ahead and share this. Uh, Dad and Angie borrowed the van because they needed the van. I trust Dad with everything that I have. we got to figure this out. There was an accident. The van might be totaled. Blame him. I'm just kidding. But the only, the only thing that mattered was that everybody was okay. But there are these other things that just happen in life. And sometimes it's a lot harder than that when we, when we lose people. Or we lose relationships, significant others because of death, because of breakup, because of all of these other different things. And life is really hard. The question is, in these hard moments, where do we go? All right, we all, we go to a variety of different things. But when, in one of his most difficult moments in his life, David says, taste and see 
These are actions. Perceive it. Know it. Bring it in. Feel it. Step away from everything else. I keep using the AirPods. Put your AirPods in. Walk around and start just pleading the blood of Jesus on everything. Your gratefulness for the fact that you may not feel it right now, but he saved you from the pit of hell. He pulled you out of destruction. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If this is new to you, just start the dialogue. And all of a sudden, I promise There is going to be a peace, or at least a release at first. At least a release that comes over you that is going to be incredible. Taste and see how good the Lord is. The one who takes refuge in him is truly happy. Is truly happy. So I have a reason to worship today. My daughter was baptized. I have another reason to worship today. My my family is over here and some of them that are with us all the time and some of them that are not with us all the time. So I have a reason to worship about that. I have three healthy kids so I can worship. But I want you to understand something. And those that are the closest to me do know this. I worship in pain. And I worship, this has not always been the case, but I worship in suffering. I worship when I don't know what to do and I worship when I feel like a scared little boy that feels absolutely worthless. I worship. And whenever I come out of that, what I have done is I have given something of myself through a posture of surrender. And something has given me the ability to step into the next day, not only neutral, but with joy. And the problem with Christianity, with people in the church or people who claim the name, is that it's just been left untried. It's just been left untried because there are all of these other places that we go for happiness, for intimacy, for satisfaction, for deeper meaning. And my prayer this morning is that that is the place that you will seek. And if you do have some heavy burdens, as some of you do, you have the comfort and the commitment to bring those down here. And maybe for some of you, that will look like this. I want to learn to worship consistently. I want to be able to pour myself out in my life. And even though I don't understand to know what the circumstances may be, because we would love to know what tomorrow holds, We simply can't. But if we taste and see, we will find what joy really looks like. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed this morning, I just want to say first that I am grateful for every single person that is in this room right now. And even though I don't know all your names or your story, I love you very much and appreciate you very much. I'm so thrilled and so excited about the baptisms and the work that God is doing. And my prayer is, in this moment right now, I don't care if, you, if you've never come to this church or if you've not been to this church in a very long time, that if you need to come down and you need to pour your heart out to God through a posture of surrender and worship, that you will feel the freedom in this space. This is the opportunity for you to go from a place of not simply worshiping on Sunday morning, but saying, God, carry me through this weak. Father, we lift you up and we praise you for your goodness. We praise you, Father, for the decisions that have been made late, uh, lately in the church. 
Father, we thank you for each person that is in here today. We do not believe that it's an accident. God, we need your grace. We need one another. And Father, we need you to break us down, whatever it takes, so that we have nothing but you. Father, what does it take for a person to be in such a place of worship that they are on their face on a concrete floor giving themselves to you? What does it take, Father, for them to take these things in their life if it looks like bitterness or or drugs or alcohol or uh, the hurt from a bad marriage or a bad relationship and to surrender those things so that you can then pour deeply into them. Unleash the power of the Holy Spirit on this place. And Father, move us out of the way. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.